0: Hi, I'm Spencer Christian. I've been a broadcast journalist and weathercaster for more than 50 years. And over those years, I've met many remarkable people. Remarkable people with remarkable insight. Now, I'll be talking with them about the issues of the day and about their personal journeys. I'll even share a few of my own. So come join me after the weather, and we'll learn together. Welcome to After the Weather. I'm your host, Spencer Christian. We are recording this episode at Frank Residences in San Francisco, an appropriate venue, as this episode is actually a follow-up to a previous conversation we had with a remarkable man named Ed Kaplan, who, along with his wife, Judy, resides here. Uh, Ed shared with us his emotional and heartrending journey as a caregiver for Judy as she developed memory loss, and he described the very difficult decision to move to this residence where Judy receives memory care. As we follow up with this episode, you will hear the perspective of the adult children of those in memory care whose journeys are as challenging and as heartrending as the story shared by Ed in the previous episode. So, let me introduce my guests in this episode, Adam Kaplan, the son of Ed and Judy, uh, Christina Bradley, whose father, Paul, is in memory care here at Frank Residences, and returning to the podcast, our medical expert and our friend, Dr. Catherine Kate Pocine, uh, Professor in Residence, Director of Neurology at UCSF Memory and Aging Center. Did I get that correct?
1: Glad to be here.
0: <laughs> okay. It's great to have you with us, and I'm going to start with you, Adam, because uh, your dad has set the stage for this particular episode with his story. Um, and I just want to ask you, you can pick the starting point, but I'm curious to know at what point did you and your siblings begin to recognize that your mom was suffering from memory loss? What what were some of the, the clues?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it really came to a head in a story my, my dad told when he was on uh, after, I recall, a trip where they went down to San Diego uh, to visit my brother down there, and there was some strange behavior where uh, we had discovered after the fact that she had taken some things uh, from their house, and just just strange things, Ziploc bags, I think a, a kid's book, and it was just very, very strange and out of character. We weren't sure what it was all about, and that kind of made us kind of question, uh, I think, for the first time and kind of look back and think about if there were other warning signs or kind of things going on, uh, that, that might have, uh, might have led to that. And, uh, her mother, my grandma also suffered from dementia. And so it was sort of in the background that, you know, this, this could be something, um, something that was related to it.
0: Yeah. And and what were your feelings at
2: that point? I mean, when did it start to become an emotional, um, issue for you? I mean, it was, it was, um, you know, pretty much right away. It was, it was really, really scary. You know I grew up and we were super close with my my grandma. She lived less than a a half mile from us, saw her all the time, and she was a remarkable woman and we sort of you know watched this sort of slow descent into into dementia and everything that 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 came with it. So starting to to think about that and having that sort of whole memory and kind of seeing how it progresses and, and where it ends and how it goes, um, which is, you know, can can go to a pretty dark place. Uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was very scary to kind of think about that. You know, my mom now, um, you know, still still quite young and, and healthy uh, being on that trajectory.
0: Yeah. And, and Christina, uh, I start with a question to you. And this is the same question I just asked Adam. When did you begin to realize that something was happening with your dad?
3: Well, Spencer, my dad is a great practical joker, and we are really close. We have a really close bond, my dad and I. And I would notice uh, first where he wasn't taking very good care of himself. He would not shower. He would wear the same clothes like three or four days in a row. And uh, would call me and ask the same question four or five times a day. Um, And these were the more outward things. He also would be carrying, I don't know why, donuts in the back of his car. He would get Dale donuts, the big box, and put them in the back of his car and leave them there and say he's going to give them out. But he would just like hoard food in the back of his car. Um, And when I would bring it up to him and say, Dad, you know, you need to take a shower. He said, I just took one. And we would look at each other and we knew there was something that was really you know, going on in his mind that he was unaware of. He did not know that he was wearing the same thing. He did not know that he had called me three times asking the same thing. And right away, I started, you know, getting same same scared, you know, and trying to, because no one in our family has had this. And so I was unaware what it was going on, but I kind of knew, you know.
0: Did either of you um, have conversations or ask questions of your parents' About what you perceived they were going through, or did you discuss it with, you know, with your siblings or with other family members? Yeah, at, at what point did it become something that the family was talking about and thinking about a lot?
2: Yeah, we we definitely had conversations about it. Um, it was I remember at the time it was it was definitely sensitive, and my mom was was scared herself, mm-hmm. uh, probably for the same reasons. You know, I described thinking about her own mother. Um, but I remember, you know, so we sort of, I think we were cautious around it, especially in discussions with her. I remember we had calls with my dad, um, without my mom on the call and they were, they were getting, you know, testing and, and kind of, um, you know, f- further, further, further medical support and kind of looking at, at, at options and things like that. But I remember my mom was not, not thrilled to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but we definitely had discussions and, um, you know, we, 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 yeah, it's I know it's tough. It's a very emotional
0: thing.
3: But It is difficult. A lot of times the siblings don't agree yeah. and they don't see the same things that are happening within the parent and so then one will say, but they're doing this, and the other will make an excuse, well, that's because, you know, maybe he didn't have any clean clothes, or he did and so then it's, I started looking five years ago at different places, because I knew what was happening. I started watching really amazing Tipa Snow videos, who was just amazing how she presents it, and says, get your act together, because it's going to you know, progress. And I started listening to that. And I made sure that I, you know, checked out all the memory care places and tried to find one that would work with my dad and me, because if I'm an active part of his, I can't say recovery, it's not recovery. If I'm an active caregiver, then I need to be in a place that I feel comfortable too. because I was going to be spending a lot of time with him. And uh, this is one thing I was saying about Adam is so lucky that he has such a dad that is there for the mom. In yeah. my dad's case, it is not that. It was, you know.
0: It was Kate is nodding, and I know that all of what we're hearing right now, it sounds familiar to you from your experience.
1: Oh, yes, and the earl- this early part of the journey can be so hard for families and I was—I had a question for you, Christina. So at what point did you realize what was going on? What point did you understand that this was a progressive process, that this was dementia or Alzheimer's disease? Was there a doctor who helped you along the way or... How did you figure it out? Well, my
3: husband works at UCSF um, in cardiology, but he was mentioning, you have to really think that it might be this. And in watching Teepa Snow videos, they give all the 10 signal signs, warning signs. And I'm like, yep, 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 you know, right down the line. And... I started noticing and I told my brother, you know, and he was starting to get on board because he was starting to get these repeat calls and different things like that. But at that point, um, my dad wanted to have nothing to do with it. And the primary care doctor didn't con- our, took our concerns and just said, he looks fine to me. And they did that twice. And I said, you don't, there's the thing called show timing where they're able to do five, 10 minutes of conversation. They seem absolutely fine. And I'm in the background going, when he says, well, how are you feeling? My dad's like, fine. I'm behind him saying, no, no, you know, no, he's not, you know, and trying to do miming and telling the doctor what's really happening. But the doctor has known him for 40 years. So the doctor's like, he seems fine to me. And finally, we got him in UCSF, memory uh, care for being tested. That's when we started, yeah.
1: Now, so often, people with Alzheimer's may have really pretty preserved social skills for a long time, and they have certain stories they're good at telling, and they can, um, like you said, put on a good show. But what I'm hearing is that you, um, you, you went out there and you taught yourself what was going on, and then you advocated to get your dad uh, evaluated. Um, You know, I worry so much about the families who don't have somebody who's, you know, able or willing to educate themselves and advocate because unfortunately, the way our medical system is, some of those people fall through the cracks. Here's
3: the other thing is that nobody talks about this. Nobody out in the world, outside of Frank Residence, outside, nobody wants to have this conversation. Peers of mine are listening and that's fine, but they don't want to learn and they don't want to know because it's so scary to everyone. And everyone thinks of a um, place when you go to assisted living or memory care as that scary place that, you know, that old people go and... It's It's got to change. It has to change because it felt so lonely. I don't know how you felt if you knew anybody that could help you along the process, but you get the diagnosis and then what? Mm-hmm. And it's not, okay, now you go here and they will help you. Fi- I said, no, I've got to go look at places and I've got to go learn more about this. And, you know, my brother joined in and then we joined a little team. We made a support team and we just all learned about the place, about the disease, about, you know... And educated ourselves. There's no real. Did you find any
2: help? Yeah, you know, I, I. You mentioned my dad. I mean, it was great. I mean, he he dove in. He found resources. He, he was there, and he really drove drove this. And um, you know, the the point I was gonna make. Thanks for stepping in. I got a little verklempt. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's we, it was important to us to 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 tell my mom how much we love her. Yeah, yeah, and. and- and your dad
0: talked about that when he was on the previous episode with us because uh, he expressed such powerful emotion, his love, his commitment, um, you know, the, the contract. Uh, and yet he had to acknowledge how your mom's condition was, I would to say declining, progressing, getting worse, and something had to be
2: done. Yeah, yeah, we just, while, while she, before she progressed further, you know, we wanted to, to make sure she knew and, um, you know, they were tough conversations yeah. because she, she didn't, she didn't want to think about it or talk about it, but it was important. How, how about your siblings?
0: Were you the first one to accept and acknowledge
2: what was going on? I, I, we, we all struggled with yeah. it a little bit. Um, I, th- I think there was an aspect where in, in some respects, at least with the question about her strange behavior, it, it did help kind of con- connect some dots, but it was really tough. To, to think about because I think we all had that image of my, my grandmother and what she had gone through. So it was, it was definitely a process and it's been a process that continues.
0: Just for our listeners' benefit, in case we didn't cover this earlier, your, your mother's mother had the same or similar condition.
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. We, we watched her progress over the years um, you know, in a similar fashion. Yeah.
3: You no, one other thing I was going to say is maybe instead of saying that they don't want to acknowledge that they have it, maybe they do acknowledge that they have it and it scares the heck out of them yeah. and they don't want to. I mean, my dad, paratrooper, police officer, you know, a karate, black belt. This guy is, you know, commando and he has to admit that he can't remember where he parked his car or remember, you know, what he's doing. And he didn't want to acknowledge it. But little by little, you see that person slipping and being scared, which is the hardest part. Seeing them being scared and trying to do with all your might to help and know that you are not going to fix it ever. It's, I said this today, we're talking about it. It's almost like your loved one falls off a cliff and you grab him at the last minute and you're hanging on, but you'll never be able to pull them up off the cliff. And little by little, one finger at a time is going and you see in their face as the disease progresses, that they are scared, but you can't console, you know, so it's it's that powerful.
0: Now, how did the decision come about, Adam, uh, to um, have your mom and your dad move into a residence like this where she could get the memory care she she needs? She needed because your dad had been the caregiver uh, for all of those uh, difficult, you know, needs that she had difficult to meet needs that she had. And he, I'm sure he reached a point where he knew he could no longer provide all the care that was needed. Uh, I want to hear about you know, what was going on with the family dynamic then. How, how are, when did you and your brothers get on board with this decision?
2: Yeah, yeah, for, for a while, for, for, for quite a while, my dad was was with her, and as she progressed, and he was taking care of her, and it was great. They were living actually in an apartment they moved into that I had lived in for. And when we moved, uh, the apartment was still open. We're like, you guys should come out and move out here. So they were living in the apartment, and uh, and my dad, you know, little by little, started taking on things that she had used used to do, um, you know, making meals, cleaning up around the house. And things, things were going uh, well for a while, but as, as different um, elements all added up, it, it just got to be a lot. And so we were encouraging him to, to look for help. And uh, for a while, I remember, you know, I would, I would constantly check in and say, hey, how's, how's it going? Have you checked on someone who could come in? Uh, And we were really worried about him and we wanted to make sure that that his mental health and physical health, he had a chance to go out and and really, you know, experience life and and get out um, on his own and not be sort of so tethered to the house. Um, And he, uh, I I think there was some difficulty that he he was able to find some care that came in at different times, but uh, it just, I don't think it was the level of care um, needed. Um, And over time, I think it just, it, Became too much, especially with uh, the um, issues with incontinence that I think my dad spoke about yeah, in the last. And you know he spoke very elo- eloquently about just what that's like and courageously. Um, yeah, my dad. yeah, yeah. And I, I think that is actually I think he was um... you know is kinda had the can-do attitude for a long time like he can handle it and also he's the one who knows her best and yeah. he's the he's the only one who can can deal with her when she gets in moods about uh, about getting changed or other things like that yeah. uh... that and he would see that the caretakers weren't doing as good a job or kind of struggling Um but then i think that's kind of the, the straw that bo- broke the camel's back so to speak when he was dealing with that for so long i think finally uh, you know, he started thinking about options like the Frank and looking at it at seriously.
0: I, I've heard both of you, Christina and, and uh, Adam, talk about feeling scared. Uh, and, and of course, the person who's going through this feels scared. I'm just wondering how familiar that all sounds to you, Kate. Dr. Kate. <laughs> um,
1: uh, yes, absolutely. And one of the things that you were just saying, Adam, that really um, made me think was about um, you know, how your father felt like he had to do all the caregiving because your mom connected with him and was calmed by him more than, say, a paid caregiver coming through. And I think that's a really common story is that, you know, a, a, a caregiver wants to hire some help, some respite, but they see that their loved one with dementia doesn't accept that help the way that they would accept help from them, the person who they trust. So this is, this is really common. I mean, if, if you could imagine being in the shoes of someone with dementia where the world is a scary place because it's not making sense anymore, but you have your spouse or your child, someone you've loved for many, many years, and that, that connection to that person is still there. Well, you feel safer having that person navigate you through this scary world than a stranger coming in. And so I can understand why it is hard to um, open up the door as a caregiver and let some, a paid person come in for help. But unfortunately, no one person can do all of this alone.
3: And there's the guilt as the child, as the spouse, you know, as I don't know how you feel, but you know, just thinking that maybe I should have moved him in with us. And, but I have a life and I have a husband, and I have kids and you know, it's like, I can't do that because if I give everything of myself, I have nothing to give to him anymore. And you can't do that. And the, the guilt is kind of tough.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember just, just in trying to encourage my dad to just, just get out and, you know, take a, a trolley car ride or go to the movies and that sort of thing. And, and he did sometimes, but I think, uh, I don't think he had the level of trust in, in, the, in the caregivers uh, that, that everything was going to be okay. So he's kind of wading into it, but it just, it just wasn't the level of support after time that, that was needed.
0: I don't want to sound like I'm just doing a commercial for for frank residences, but uh but at what point after your parents moved here did you be did your dad seem to to feel that sense of trust that he could be away from your mom for a while and trust that she was in good hands, receiving
2: the care she needed? yeah, and then there was a second a kind of a second step after they moved here too, because uh, at first they were living together in an apartment and uh in assisted living mm-hmm. and and that already was just a huge huge uh relief because there there was the care that was here yeah. and so he he could get help and people could could come in and and help with things like changing and other kinds of tasks which i, th- I think was the sort of one of the pr- primary things that i think w- uh, he was very happy to to get off his plate and, and right. a relief right um but but then uh, over time uh it 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 became uh, it was difficult for him to to leave for any kind of period of time, and so it it uh, it, it came to a point where there was a trip um, where uh, my aunt his sister's health was declining, and it was important for him to go out to be able to visit her, uh, and that's that that trip is what led them to to explore an option um, where my mom could go. Uh, and stay up at memory care, uh, and so so he could travel. And I remember there was a lot of discussions around that, and and his leaving and feeling, you know, guilt and and discomfort and uncertainty about how things would go and how she would do without him around for an extended period of time.
0: Kate, hey, you want to jump in there? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wonder if there's a a a prescription, you know, a, a advice uh, for for people who are hearing this conversation and recognize uh, in a loved one they have what what Christina and Adam have been describing. and
1: these decisions are so personal and so complicated because everyone's situation is different. But one of the things that's really striking me listening to you is it's so important to have some people who you can figure this out with right? I mean, you know, Adam, you had your, your, obviously your father leading the charge and the rest of your family and Christina, your brother, and you've also did a ton of research on your own. But these are hard decisions and really trying to engage a community to work together to figure this out. And Hopefully, um, maybe some support. There's great support groups out there with the Alzheimer's Association, for example. But find a community of people who can help you think through these hard decisions. Because what, what is the trigger uh, to put somebody in, to to get extra help in the home, and then what is the trigger to um, maybe place your loved one in a facility? These are different for each person. It's a very personal decision. And I was wondering, Christina, if you would share what was the trigger for you to place your father, Paul, here?
3: Well, he we found him in a very bad state because his wife uh, was taking care and and um, was. He was in a very bad state. He had to go to the emergency room when we came to get him. Uh, he stayed there for two weeks and then went to skilled nursing sniff uh, for two weeks. And they said he needs to go to memory care because he kept on saying that he was on vacation in Mexico and or in jail. He's called me a couple of times. Really, really bizarre. It's funny and horrible at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so we ended up bringing him back to his house, but we got someone in care for him. And she was wonderful, phenomenal. But he was just stuck in the house with her, and everything was still fighting and things around the house. So we brought him here, and when we brought him here, um, at first he wanted to leave, wanted to leave at 20 calls a day, get me out of here, get me out of here, but now, finally... I come here, and he's hanging out with the guys in his neighborhood, telling war stories, you know, about the war that he wasn't in. Yeah. so, but it's great. And they all sit around and have a great time. I can bring him down to have hamburgers and talk to everybody. and And he is finally now having some kind of uh, learning and exercise and all these things that living alone with the caregiver would not give you. You know, and companionship with people, people his own age, you know, that he can relate to. And uh, even though he won't remember it, it is a feeling when I walk away and he's teasing the guys, I feel better. And I feel when I'm on vacation or taking a trip that, yes, he is safe. And yes, he has companionship. And so even though it still hurts, I, and I do feel guilty, he is in a better place than he would be if he were with me. And I am in a better place because he's there.
2: And, and Dr. Kate, you mentioned it's, it's different for different uh, families and individuals. And, and in my case, a, a big thing um, was, was my dad, uh, you know, in the decision whether to move here was like, is, is he ready for this? And this idea that, you know, if it was not but for my mom, he would not be looking at that, that stage to, to move. He didn't, he didn't need extra help. Uh, and the idea, everything, you know, you, you were saying earlier about, you know, just, just the thought of, you know, moving from your own apartment and independence into a place, um, you know, where where you, you, you don't have the same level of independence. And, and this sort of idea of um, just, you know, this sort of, you know, I remember lots of, of family Zooms with... Uh, you know, my brothers uh, from out of town and my dad and myself, you know, talking about, you know, oh, I'm on the back nine, you know, am I going <laughs> to go over into the, the old folks home, that sort of thing. And it was, and it was you know, it, and, and then he was worried about my mom and how she was going to take it and how she was going to handle it. Um, but you know, you, you speak to the the point about making an advertisement. I mean, we could not be, uh, have been happier once he made the decision. My mom took to it. it was not an issue. I think he was concerned about how she would take to the, the moving here. Um, but it was, it was not, I don't recall it being much of an issue for her. Uh, certainly not, not as much as we might've, might've feared or been concerned about. And then it, it's just been the best decision for my, my dad as well. Just the, the number, the, the social interaction, the activities right, and right. the support community, you know, that, that other people going through this and being in a place um, where you can get that support. As,
0: as the two of you have shared your journey, um, you know, you talk about some of the common emotions that children of parents who are going through this uh, might feel fear and, and, and uh, guilt, maybe shame, Um, but you've, you both have also cited the importance of, uh, finding moments where you can find some humor, finding opportunities to, to, to find humor in what you're going through. How important is that?
3: So I'm an improviser, that's what I do, and it's really coming in handy. Because my dad is like, I'm on the Fairmont and I can't find my pants and I'm on the roof and I'm like, okay, I'll bring your pants over. You know, and there's such a variety, it's amazing where the brain goes to fill in when you don't know. But some of the things that have come, I just laugh out loud and we just, you know, like he, he has lunch with me down here and we talk about things and he's like, well, how's your mom? And my mom died five years ago. And I have to say, she's great. She's traveling. Oh, really where? Up north, way up north, you know? And so he's just like, you know, I make up the story and continue it on because there's no use in correcting at the point of where my dad is because he will just get sad and shocked. So now um, whoever died is not dead. You know, we are wherever he says we were in Mexico out there yesterday. And it's like, yeah, it looks a lot like San Francisco, you know. And so it's you have to be able to go with it. And you have to because they communicate with you a certain way all your life. I've known my dad all my life. And he is now not able to communicate the way he used to. So I can't expect him to, and I can't wait him to, and I can't force him to, but I can learn how to communicate with him now, which is just go with the flow and learn to be there. Just We were just talking about this, that presence is the present. To be there with him and not ask him questions that he can't answer and just be there with, just sit and have a burger, you know?
2: Yes. And similarly, I'd say, you know, finding out what makes them smile and, and do that. You know, in my case,
0: <laughs>
2: telling my mom about my daughters. Yes.
0: that Makes, makes her smile. Yeah. You have, uh, you have twin daughters. And uh, I could, I'm a grandparent, so <laughs> I, I, I look at pictures of my kids and I, my grandkids. And I can't stop smiling. I can imagine that's helpful for your mom.
2: Yep. Or my wife, she probably smiles more <laughs> if I mention my wife than you know, myself. But you know, showing the pictures and you know, just just going to those things or um, what, whatever it is, you know, just being in the moment, making them smile, and being being that comforting sort of presence.
0: If we were on TV right now, <laughs>
2: our listeners would be able to see that I'm wiping tears away. <laughs> but sometimes,
0: at at, at some points, uh, these are happy tears because. I'm happy that you have uh, i don't know i guess you have found some peace in the situations that you're in um, and some purpose um, and and you're you're happy adam that you're uh, pleased i should say that your mom is getting the care she's getting, and that your dad um, has a life <laughs> and uh and Christina, you seem pleased that, that you can be the great improviser and, and, and go along with your dad in these moments when he's not really sure who he is or where he is.
3: It's very much that the parent is a child. Yeah. And I have grown children, and he always asks me, who's babysitting right now? You know? <laughs> They're like 36 and 34. You know, And so it's, uh, I just go with it. But at that point, you just have to um, appreciate that life is life, and it's not always happy. And there are moments and you have to sit with them. You can't fight them. You have to sit with them and let them be. They are what they are. And you have to be okay because that's part of the deal of being alive.
0: I, I don't know if um, you and uh, Adam have gone through what I'm going to uh, throw out here now, but but I'm sure Kate has some experience with this. What happens, what do you do when there are multiple family members involved in making this decision to place a parent who needs memory care in a facility where that Care could be provided. and everyone's not on the same page.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well. oh my, I, I there's no easy answer to that one for right. sure. But usually there is, you know, a decision maker, be it the spouse, for example. but if if that's not the case and say there's no spouse and there's three adult children, I think this can be incredibly difficult to do to come to a consensus. Um, and and I there's no um, simple answer for that one, but, um, yeah, these decisions are tough, and I recommend you know, trying to engage someone who knows about dementia. Sometimes some family members might be in, in denial and not uh, really accepting that this is a progressive disease, that all people with these diseases are going to progress to the point where they're going to need 24-7 supervision and so uh, you know, making these decisions uh, you know, really requires that you accept that and then you can start to think about, well, are we gonna do it in, in someone's home, in, in, in my home, in their home, or, or place in a facility? What are the financial implications of all of this? Uh, it, it's, it's a very big decision um, and, and can be quite hard on a lot of families.
3: Two things of advice on that note. One, make sure the power of attorneys are in place the DPOAs oh, right. for health, who you want in charge of your health, who you want in charge of your finance, when you're not able to make those decisions. That's the first thing Dr. Peter told us at UCSF Memory, please get that in order, that was really helpful. Second, as a parent, sit down when you're not, your kids are too young, but our kids, and I sat down and I said, okay, if I ever got this, this is what I want. This is who I want to be in charge and I want you not to feel guilty I want you to know that I probably don't know that this is happening to me, but I want you to understand I want this. So know what you want. You know, as an adult, it could be early onset. It could happen very early. You know, know that um, your children understand what you want. That is so important. Don't push it down the road because you won't be able to make that decision then.
2: I, yeah, I, I haven't talked with my, my nine-year-olds about what to do when I'm, I'm in, in that place, but I, it is educational and they have learned and they understand, you know, I, we've talked to them about, uh, we call my mom Mimi and, you know, we, they understand that, you know, that, that she's a little different and uh, they love her and they've learned from this. Yeah. Um, but my brothers and I, you know, we did have, have some different views and we still do. And, you know, just, just last week, we were celebrating my dad's, uh, 80th birthday the evening before. And, uh, my brothers kind of, you know, trying to convince him to, to kind of get out more and out on the town. And, you know, we were at a jazz club and do more stuff like this <laughs> and that kind of thing. And beforehand, you know, he, he, was, he was very much concerned as well about, you know, and as thought, you know, well, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe mom can go there and you can stay living on your own. And I think there has just been a lot of discussions and I'd have calls with my brothers uh, beforehand and then we'd have calls with my dad and we just kind of hash through things and discuss it. And uh, two of us are attorneys. And so there's a lot of persuasion and arguing <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, may the best argument win. <laughs>
1: Well, I think it's wonderful to engage family in caregiving and to show your children how to connect with with your parent who has dementia. I think it can impact them. I mean, so often I see young people who are, uh, you know, just graduated from college and they, they come to train with us or, you know, they're on their your early career path. And well, what was it that inspired you to go after a career in geriatrics or Alzheimer's disease? And it's, more often than not, it's an early experience. It's that their grandma had Alzheimer's disease, and they watched how hard it was on their family. They watched what it was that she went through, and they were part of that, and it shaped their their journey. And so now they're training to you know, go into medicine or nursing and then give something back. And I, so I think it's wonderful. You know, dementia is a family affair. And I think f- involving everyone and teaching people, how can, you know, you connect with the loved one who has dementia?
0: I was thinking about the care that's provided at a facility like uh, Frank Residences for the person who needs the memory care. But we've been talking a lot about the journey of the children of those who need that care and the emotions that you feel. And they're... Would you recommend that uh, when when the child of a person suffering from memory memory loss doesn't know where to turn, that that person gets some counseling, some psychological counseling, go to a therapist to, you know, to deal with the emotions that they're going through?
1: Yes. I, I, I do a lot of research on a care program we call the Care Ecosystem. And in that program, we have care team navigators who are trained to be your dementia care guide and you are assigned as the caregiver, as the the child or the spouse, you're assigned a care team navigator for a longitudinal relationship. That care navigator talks with you every month over the phone to support you through the challenges of navigating dementia. And I think that's a great model. It's not universally available, but our goal is to make it universally available, to make it the standard of care. Well, what if the care ecosystem is not accessible to you? I think support groups are fantastic, and I mentioned this earlier, but you know, looking into the Alzheimer's Association, the Family Caregiver Alliance, and seeing where you can get some support in the community is essential.
3: I'm gonna add a third thing to the necessary things. Get a therapist. Yes. Get a therapist. That, it helped me so, it really threw me for a loop. And into a deep depression, because this was my dad. And this dad is deteriorating in front of my eyes. And you know, you have Covid at the same time. It happened during Covid, so I'm stuck inside. I'm eating everything in sight. I'm doing you know all these things happening at the same time. The therapist was so instrumental in being a child of somebody with this. Um, that I cannot say thank you enough for doing that for myself to do that because that was a gift to me to be able to deal with everything going on and it really did help me unpack the stresses and separate them and look at each one of them. Instrumental, totally worth it, definitely.
2: Yeah, in my case, I did a lot of Google research uh, and I read a lot of articles (laughs) online and I I think the caregiver group uh, and, and different groups and resources, I know my dad, you know, as a scientist, really dove in and, he, you know, I think he goes to caregiver groups every other day at this point or something like that. And it's been it's great <laughs> now. He's he's leading people and he's, he's helping others. And, and through this podcast uh, in part, um, but really not not going it alone because you need other people. It takes a village and um, yeah. and there are resources. Uh, and so you just you just need to seek them out. And, um, you know, whether there's whether it's <laughs> through Google or other means hearing this podcast, um, get 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 help and support.
1: Yes, please. If you're a caregiver out there, don't do it alone. Ask for help.
2: Yeah. Well, as Adam said,
0: it, it does indeed take a village, and I want to thank our little village of three of you for for joining us on this podcast. Um, I, I know there are no final answers or final solutions, but I think the fact that uh, you've been willing, you uh, Adam and, and Christina, to share your experiences. Um, and of course, Dr. Kate, your expertise. Uh, It's got to be helpful to someone who's listening who may be going through the same thing and wondering, what do I do? Where do I turn? How do I deal with this? So uh, thank you for joining us and thank all of you who are listening. And I I hope uh, this conversation has been helpful. We'll see you next time on After the Weather. After the Weather was edited by Leonard Torres, our executive producer is Marcus Young. This podcast is a product of ABC7 News. And Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform and leave us a like if you liked this episode. I'll talk to you later. Take care and so long for now.